All right, good morning. I'm glad y'all are here. Um, you ever have one of those um, mornings, to be completely honest, where you just don't feel like doing this? Like, I'm so glad y'all are here because you don't have to be. This morning, I've had a cold, like that cold that's going around, you know, like they say it's like three weeks or a month long. Congratulations. Um, for all those hands that I shook today, we have antibacterial stuff in the back. Uh, but I honestly, like I love y'all, you know that. I don't feel it today, like to be completely honest. And in the first service, I was right over there worshiping and just kind of putting that before the Lord. And, and it was great because he reminded me that that's okay. Like, I'm not here to point you to me. I'm here to point you to God. And as long as I do that, it's okay. It's okay. And I hope that's what happens today. Because here's what I hope for you. Is I hope that you leave this building today with more hope than you walked in. Right, Because we're going to be in Song of Solomon, we're going to be talking about marriages, and we're going to be talking about what a, how to make your marriage better. And what can happen when you do that is people can leave feeling guilty, right? Guilty because you don't measure up. Well, let me absolve you of guilt right now. You don't measure up, right? I don't measure up. You don't measure up. That is a truth. The bigger truth is that we have a God who loves us and accepts us just the way we are. And because of Jesus, we have hope. And your pastor can be here and not feel like being here because we have hope. So I love y'all. I'm going to pray. I don't know why I'm crying, but let's get into this. Jesus, <laughs> ah, ah, Jesus, you are good. And may we never forget that. Even when it feels like you're not that's why I love that song, because it is a declaration that you will never give up on us. You will always be good to us. Because sometimes, from our perspective, it seems like you're not, but you can't be anything but that. You can't be anything but good. And so, Father, as we go through our verses today, may your Spirit do what only your Spirit can do and, and, and convict us where we need conviction. And encourage us where we need encouragement. And God, may we leave this place with a deeper love and admiration for you. And may that overflow into our relationships. God, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to show you a picture of a couple that I stalked in, in downtown Asheville. And here's why I stalked them. Granted, if you've been in downtown Asheville, you know there's a lot of people that are, are picture-worthy in downtown Asheville. This couple stood out for a very different reason. Carol, can you go ahead and put that picture up? This couple, if you, if you, can, if you can't see them from where you are, it is, they were this sweet old couple. Well, I'm assuming they're sweet. I didn't talk to them. But what's the point in stalking if you're going to actually speak to them, right? Like, like I, I watched them. I followed them for about 10, 15 minutes walking downtown, and they walked this way the entire time. If you notice, she's got her purse in one hand, but her other hand is wrapped in his arm, and his arm is wrapped around her arm, and they just walked downtown like this. And the, the, the reason I, I share this picture is because even though, even though I didn't say a word to them, this couple spoke volumes to me. Because the question today for us 
is how do we get to be this couple when we're old, right? Because they are walking down a sidewalk in Asheville just like they walked down that wedding aisle when they got married, right? When they left that wedding ceremony, I can almost guarantee you they walked out that way. And now they're walking down the streets of Asheville this way. Well, today, that's what we're going to see. We're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through 8, verse 4. And um, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page uh, 458 in that Bible. Or you can download the Bible app, and we're there under, uh, I think Art Caleb already said, under fellowship, under events, and then Fellowship Asheville, all the stuff is there. And even places for you to take notes and stuff like that. As you're turning there, I want to remind you about this book, Song of Solomon. Um, it, it's, 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 it's a book of poetry. It's a song, right? That's why it's called Song of Solomon. Sometimes it's called Song of Songs because it is considered the ultimate song. And because it's a song, it's poetry, right? And so as you read it, you're, you're supposed to feel things. And not only is it poetry, it's like ancient poetry, right? So, so we've already talked about there's things that he calls his wife. And we're going to see today things that she calls him. That it's best if we don't use those exact words, Right? But you're supposed to feel stuff as you go through this. And so we've watched this couple, the king of Israel, Solomon, and this woman who's, who's unnamed. We just know her nickname from last week. We've seen this couple be attracted to one another. We've seen them date. We've seen them, we've seen them be engaged. We've seen them get married. We've seen the honeymoon. And last week we saw them fight. But in all of that, here's what we've seen. We've seen how faith affects your relationships. And as we've looked at this book through the lens of the gospel, what we've seen is that the gospel that we received is the gospel that we give out, in particular to our spouses, those who are the closest to us, the love and acceptance and and forgiveness that we've received when we give that out to the people who are around us, relationships are better. When the gospel given to us allows us to give grace to others, relationships flourish. Well, here's what we're going to see today. In these verses that we're looking at this morning, we're going to see this couple has been together for a while, right? They're no longer the, the honeymoon couple that got into a fight. They, they have been married for a while. They have had a number of fights. They're an old married couple now. Where they used to be kind of the it couple, now they're just a regular couple. And, and where we, you saw them in the early stages of their relationship, now we're going to see them in this committed, long-lasting stage of the relationship. Now, as I say the word committed, long-lasting relationship, what comes to your mind? Right? When I say this couple has moved into the long-term phase of their relationship, what feelings does this stir up? Like, if you were to draw a picture of a couple in this stage of life, what would they look like? Would they look like that couple walking down the street, or would they look different? Would, would, would you be drawing that couple I took a picture of or someone different? You see, because I believe in, there's a part of us, because we all have this little cynic in us, right? That's this committed relationship is a boring relationship, right? That, that once, once a couple weathers kids and, and jobs and aging parents, the kind of relationship that they're left with is a pretty mundane boring relationship. Well, I hope we get a different picture of that today. Because today, here's what we're going to see, that a lasting relationship is a growing relationship. And y'all, here's why this is important. A lot of families in this church have kids. 
right? And kids, if you're in here, I'm sorry, this is going to hurt you. But what I've seen is that in our culture, so many families are kid-centric, right? That the life revolves around the kids. And what happens when that happens is that when the kids leave, the parents have no idea who they're married to anymore. They look at each other and not only ask, who are you? They ask, do I even like you? And I've seen couples get divorced when kids leave because of that very reason. What we're going to see today can help you prevent that. So that when the kids are gone, because Lord willing, they will leave. All right? When the kids are gone, I want you to look at your spouse and not only be able to say, I love you, but to say, I like you. Like, that's, what, that's why this is important. Now, how many of you enjoy people watching? Yeah, me too. When I was in high school, this was before 9-11, shocker, um, um, uh, <laughs> you could go into airports and freely walk around anywhere you wanted. And I lived in Dallas, and so there's this huge international DFW airport that's there. So me and my friends in high school, we would go to the international terminal and just go hang out and people watch. Because the international terminal, ter terminal was so much better than the domestic terminal because it was just people from all over the world. And we'd make up stories about them, and we would have this great and grand time just people watching. And had, it, it, so for those of you who like people watching, have you ever seen that couple? right? Not the couple I took a picture of, but the other couple, right? The couple that's sitting there at the restaurant surrounded by good food and, and great amber, you know, like it is the perfect night and they're sitting there and they're not saying a word to each other. Now, to be completely honest, you might have seen Stacy and I because when uh, the kids were little, like literally the first 10 to 20 minutes of any date that we got was in complete silence, because our kids are very chatty and there's always a lot of noise in our house and silence was beautiful at that stage. So you might have seen us, but eventually we'd start talking. But this couple that I'm talking about that I think we've all seen sits there and not only are they quiet, like you can sense there's, there's like this little undertone of anger among them. Like you see him light up when the waitress comes by or you see her light up when the waiter comes by. And see, there's a part of us that's scared of becoming that couple. Right, Because nobody wants to get married and end up there. We want to get married and end up arm in arm walking down the street with the love of our lives. Well, our couple that we've been studying in Song of Solomon, if you were to catch them and you were to eavesdrop on them at the end of their lives, what would you expect to see? Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to dive into this passage today, and we are going to hear his words to her, and we're going to hear her words to him. And y'all, we get to see what this couple is like after they've been together for a long time. Now, what's unique about this description, for those of you who, who uh, like seeing things in scripture and patterns and all this stuff, um, every time that he has described her, he's always started at her, at her head and worked his way down. This time it's different. This time he starts at her feet and works his way up. And here's why I think this is. They've been together for a while. Like he knows his wife. Time has passed and he knows his wife differently now than he did at the beginning of the, late, of the relationship. Where at first he was mesmerized by her beauty. He now is captivated by her personality. 
like who she is. We've seen a couple of chapters ago where he was literally intoxicated by her sensuality, right? But now we're going to see him speak to her strength and her dignity and her holiness. Well, let's look at, let's look at what he sees. Chapter 7, verse 1. He says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O, o noble daughter. Now, so he's starting at her, at her feet. He's working her way up. And, and, and the first thing that he comments on is her feet, and they're in sandals. Now, if you're here last week, I talked a little bit about this. Here's, here's what this means. This is a picture of trust. Now, here's why. If you were in ancient Israel and, and you were in the palace with Solomon, if you were a servant in that palace, you didn't have shoes. You were barefoot. Because if you were barefoot, it meant that you were confined to the palace. You were confined to the, to the house. You were confined to wherever your, your place of service was. Because if you were barefoot, you couldn't go out into the streets. Well, she has shoes on her feet, which means she is a trusted partner. That she has complete freedom to go anywhere in the kingdom that she wants. Now, to us, this, came, this seems kind of chauvinistic, right? Like, like she should have. She's married. She's the queen. She's, she's married to the king. She should have freedom. Keep in mind, this isn't today. This isn't our culture. This is an ancient culture long ago. But I also want you to keep in mind who was supposed to read this book. Because this book was given to young Hebrew women to read so that they would know what kind of man to be looking for. And this was written in here so that a woman would know that a man's job is to see her for who she is, not what the culture says she should be. And so in many ways, the fact that she had sandals and the fact that it's in this ancient book is scandalous how much he trusted her. And that's our first thing, that a a, a, a relationship grows in trust. To be a lasting relationship, it has to grow in trust because here this woman had, a, had this sign of great freedom and trust. Well, not only does trust grow, look at what else has matured. The rest of verse 1, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. So I got a few snickers about this one in the first service. The rounded thighs, right? Let's talk about that. They're an older couple, right? She's had kids. Bodies change, don't they? Anybody in their 50s have the same body you had when you were in your 20s? No. And if you don't believe me, Facebook's doing this thing now where you take a picture 10 years ago. They're not the same, right? We age. We mature. But here's what's amazing. He appreciates her beauty even more. Now, here's why this is scandalous. In our culture, for us, there is this pressure to stay beautiful, isn't there? And people will do surgery. Uh, they'll do all kinds of things. And not even the extreme stuff. I'm talking about the clothes. So, so not even for women, for guys. I have seen 50-year-old men dress like 20-year-olds, right? And, and not to go on a rant, but skinny jeans, first of all, don't look good on too many people, period. Secondly... If you're over 30, you shouldn't have them. And if you're 50, you shouldn't be allowed in the store that sells them. And yet, in our culture, there is this pressure for the older to look younger. And here, we see in this relationship, that's not the case. He loved her, and he 
appreciated the beauty that her maturing body brought. And as he looks at her, he calls her not just, not just jeweled, but he, but he calls her a master, the work of a master hand. And in, in the language, it's a masterpiece. And if you've ever seen a, a, a masterpiece, here's what a masterpiece is. If you were an apprentice in a trade, before you moved from an apprentice to a master, you had to show, <coughs> excuse me, that you learned everything to be considered a master. And so a masterpiece is where a person of a trade puts everything they've learned into one piece of work. And so, for example, I was at a museum and saw this masterpiece of a furniture maker where it was a roll-top desk. It was an antique roll-top desk, and it was a guy that was moving from an apprentice to a master, and so he did everything that he knew in this one desk. It was incredible. Like, it had secret drawers. It had these little, like, ornate flowers that if you push the center of the flower, another secret drawer would pop out. Like, it was literally everything he knew to do was in this desk. And the beauty of this desk was that the more you studied it, the more you found, right? The more you looked at it, the more beauty you saw. A masterpiece work is like that. The more you study it, the more you see. Which, by the way, that very thing is said about you in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 10 says that you, the church, and those who make up the church are God's masterpiece. That the more we study you, the more beauty of God that we see. This is how this man saw his wife. The more he studied her, the more beautiful she became. You see, that's the beauty that this man sees. It's not some flash-in-the-pan beauty that's here today and gone tomorrow. The more he studies her, the more beautiful he sees that she is. And so the relationship has grown in this appreciation. Not only has his appreciation grown, appreciation of her beauty. Let's see what else he comments on in verse 2. Now, we are going to pick up the pace here, by the way. He says, your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Okay, so this is part of the language stuff that I've said you probably don't want to use literally at home. You don't want to refer to a stomach as a heap of anything, right? (laughs) But remember, this is poetry. And it's wheat and it's wine. And, 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 and that's what he's referring her to. And in and, and scriptures, wine was for joy and wheat was for nourishment. And he looks at her and he goes, he goes, the happiness that they have, they have with one another because they are dependent on one another. And see, and I believe these two are very connected. This, this happiness and joy that you can experience with your spouse and the dependence between you and your spouse are very connected. Because this man realizes that as long as he gets his sustenance from her, there is joy to be found. And so this relationship grows in connection. And y'all, here's why this is important for us. In our day and age, pornography is literally a click away. And it is easy for a man or a woman to experience joy outside of their marriage. And when that happens, when the dependence on another becomes part of the marriage, then the joy decreases in the marriage. Fox News did this article like years ago, and it was an article on how to keep a marriage strong, and I've never seen the worst advice ever in an article. 
This isn't a slam on Fox News. I don't even know who wrote the article. Hopefully they have taken it off of everything you could possibly find it on because they address pornography in marriage. And they were encouraging women that if, you're, if your husband struggles with pornography and is watching pornography, their advice was to watch it with him because that takes all the fun out of it. Isn't that stupid? That is the worst advice ever. No, the trick is you don't look at pornography. That's how you fix it. Like you find joy in your spouse, not in someone else's. And this man knows that, that in, this, in this relationship, in this couple, the way God has designed marriage, as long as his focus is on the, on the one that God gave him, and he satisfies her and she satisfies him, that there will be great joy in the relationship. You see, that's the problem with, with, with porn is that it creates another relationship which, where joy is found. And re-engage, which is our marriage ministry, we've, we talk about you have to close every door. That there is one door in your life that is open and that is to your spouse and every other door is closed. No one else gets in that room. That's what he knows. That he finds joy in his wife because their dependence is on one another. Look at verse 3. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Now, we've seen this before. This was mentioned at the honeymoon, right? If you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to it. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, gazelles, fawns, they're, they're, they're very skittish things. And, and he knows he still has to be tender, right? That hasn't changed. Some things don't change as a relationship grows. And he knows that, that he still has to be tender with his wife. And look at what else he values in verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabin. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel. Uh, with, flow, with your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. So you have neck. Eyes, nose, head, in all of these he sees strength and dignity. His neck, or her neck, he says is like a tower of ivory, right? It's precious. It is strong and it is dignified. I, 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 I've said before, in, in Tennessee, I learned the term, uh, a woman with a magnolia back. And, and what that means is that a, a magnolia tree can withstand almost any storm. Like literally at our, at our church offices in Tennessee, there was this magnolia. We had bought some land that had an old farmhouse on it. And so we converted the farmhouse to our church offices. And there was this magnolia tree that had been there for I don't even know how long. It was huge. And the kids would climb up in the, in the branches and stuff. We literally had two tornadoes go through and that tree was still there. Bradford pears were like in Mississippi somewhere. Like they were gone. But those magnolia trees were there because they weather the storms. And he is saying that she can weather the storms with him. The eyes he compares to, to Heshbon, which is a, a Levitical city, 
And so it's this holy place. It's a place where the priest lived. And so that strength that she has isn't just because uh, of her own character or personality. It is because it is a holy strength that is in her. The peace that he experiences is this holy peace. I was listening to this interview with Christine Kane last week, and she said something incredible. She said, she said the peace that we are given isn't dependent on your Enneagram type. It isn't dependent on a personality type. The peace that we experience is based on a blood type. Because of the blood of Christ that bought it. And it is available to everyone. That's the peace that he recognizes in her. It is this holy peace and this holy strength. He talks about her nose like a tower of Lebanon. Again, let's not call noses towers. That won't go well. But here it did, because here it was this, it was this compliment to her. The, the Tower of Lebanon, it says, overlooks Damascus because it was the tower of protection over Damascus, right? And he is saying she is his protection, which is a, a, a growth area in their relationship because in the honeymoon and at the wedding and, and as they dated, he was her protection. He protected her, but now, now she is his protection. She knows what makes him tick. She, she, she knows how to care for him in a way that, that nobody else does. And she knows how to support him. She watches out for him and she makes his life better. Now, Stacy, my wife, she does this for us in so many ways. We've got a bunch of projects going on at the house right now, which is just chaos for me. She loves organization. And, and so she is like organizing stuff, organizing the house, packing stuff, like, like it is crazy. And it is such a support to me that she does that. Even there's one thing, uh, and I said she would do this in the first service, and she did, because uh, she would sit back there and shake her head going, oh, I don't do that enough, and I don't, and she does. It's incredible. Um, and it's so simple. Like, this is what I think this woman did, and it's such simple stuff. Like, I love scrambled eggs in the morning, and I love to put vegetables in my scrambled eggs. She hates it. She hates vegetables and scrambled eggs. She just doesn't like it at all. But what we'll do, what she will do, is at dinner, if there are leftover vegetables that would be good in scrambled eggs, like, she will take and set some aside and say, hey, these are for your eggs in the morning. Even though, like, she doesn't like it, she sets it aside for me because she knows that I do. That's what this woman does. And what's important is that's what this guy sees that she does. And he's calling attention to it. And so wives, how are you protecting and supporting your husband? What does this look like in your house? Because that's what this woman does. She watches over her husband and makes his life better. And then he talks about her head, and we see this crown and purple and, and royalty and king, and, and he is saying that she is true royalty. Now, this is why this is important. Do you remember where she came from? Where did we first see her? Where did she work? Where? I'm still not here. What? It's the cold, I'm sure. What? The fields. Yeah, she worked in the fields. She's not of royal blood. And yet, he says, she is my queen. You see, that's, that's what happens is that a relationship grows and, and leadership is the word that I put. I didn't know what other word kind of captured it because this woman isn't a wallflower in the relationship. She is a valuable, dependent leader in the relationship. 
In verse 6, he sums it up like this. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. In other words, to him, she is simply charming. Everything about her, he delights in. Now, not only has he grown in appreciation of her character, let's look what else has continued to stay a part of their relationship too. Verse 7. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breast be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. If you're visiting today, welcome to Fellowship Asheville. So fun. Here's what's great. Like this couple still has a sex life. Like, like, like they still had this creative sex life. And now we're going to see how she responds to that. Because as their relationship has progressed, their sex life has progressed as well. Look at how she responds in, in the rest of verse 9. <clears throat> she says, it goes down smoothly for my be- uh, it goes down smoothly for my beloved gliding over lips and teeth i am my beloved's and his desire is for me right so here's what just happened he said he wants to climb the palm tree right her stature is like a com- palm tree he wants to climb the palm tree and grab hold of its fruits and here's what she said bring it on baby right? That's what she said. Let's go home. (laughs) Let's just drop the mic and go on. Because see, as this relationship has progressed, here's what they've grown in. They've grown in their tenderness. They've grown in in their affirmation and acceptance. He knows that she needs that. And you can see, too, that he's also acknowledging the fact that she has grown in, in what he needs, that he needs, he needs respect, and he needs care, and he needs support. And they've shown this love back and forth to each other. And so men, hear me, your women need your tenderness. And women, your men need your respect. So men, your women need tenderness. And, and women, your men need respect. Because relationship, a lasting relationship grows in those two areas as well. It grows in tenderness and it grows in respect. So church, how are you doing? Right? Men, are, 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 how do you show tenderness? Is it with words? It can be with actions. It can be little love notes that you leave. Women, how do you show respect? How do you care and support your husband? You see, not only has the relationship grown in, in this, they, they've grown in their time together. That's why I said this is so important. Because my kids are older now, and Stacy and I have more time than we have in the past 20 years. And it's important for those of you who have little kids because one day you're going to have time with each other again. And some of you are saying, hallelujah, right? But it's coming, and I want you to love each other, and I want you to like each other because look, look, look at what happens next. So this is, this is her stock talking, and she says, come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. In other words, here's what she does. She asked him out on a date. She says, honey, let's go, let's go spend the day together. 
And look, because this is how we know. Look, verse 12. Let us go out early into the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. And and so so she doesn't want to just like go have breakfast with him. She wants to spend all day with him. She wants to wander through the vineyards with him. Like she wants to, to be by his side. And so we see that this relationship grows in their enjoyment of time together. Listen, a lasting relationship is marked by a desire to spend committed time together. Now, I always tell couples, like, get a date night and stick to it. Like, even if you don't have kids and every night's free, like, get a date night and stick to it, where it's a dedicated time, where where the calendar's clear and you can spend time together. And then, when you have kids, it's a great idea to stay having a date night. When the kids are young. Now, when Stacy and I had little kids, a lot of times that meant that after the kids went to sleep, we would fix dinner at home or I'd go get takeout and bring it home. Like going out and paying for a babysitter while the kids slept seemed ridiculous to us, right? And so, so we would have a date night at home. And then when the kids went to school, we would, we would have breakfast or we would have lunch together while the kids were at school. And now that the kids are older, we sit on the back deck and have deck time together and just catch up and and, and spend time together. And so like, like a cup, a, a relationship grows when there's this enjoyment of time together. And y'all, we got to do something um, that we haven't done in forever. My wife is a travel agent. It was great. She, she was at this conference and she texted me and said, I just won two tickets to England. Two round trip, first class tickets to England. And I was like, what? That's awesome. Do I get to go? Question mark. You laugh. There was a significant pause in the text conversation. And I thought, oh, maybe it's like a business. Maybe she has to take the, the, the owner of the company or something because they're at a conference and if it has business, something, something, something. But what happened is all the ladies were so excited, all the, all the fellow agents were so excited that, that they were all talking to her and she didn't see my text later and she texted back and said, yes, you get to go. Whew, that was great. So what we did is we got to go to Europe and spend two weeks, just the two of us. Y'all, we haven't been able to spend two weeks together in 19 years. It was incredible. And I'm going to tell you, I told Stacey this, like, as the plane was landing back in Atlanta, I said, I I was like, I'm serious, do you want to hop on another plane and go back? Like, I would do it in a heartbeat. Not because I don't love my kids, I love spending time with my wife. Well, not only for them is there's this desire to to spend time together. There's also this spice of creativity. Look at verse 13. And the mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. And so there's all this this new and old and and all these fragrances around them. And what she's doing is is there's this enticement of her man, and, and she is creative and, and, and this creativity is growing in this lasting relationship because relationships grow in creativity. And honestly, like for us, the fact that we even got to go to Europe, it was because of Stacy's creativity. And even on that trip, like, like, like she said, what would you think about her, her dad is full German. His name is Helmut Knefli. Like you don't get more German than that, right? Um, uh, and she goes, what would you think if if as part of our trip, we went to the village that my family's from in Germany. 
it's this little bitty village. It's not touristy. We, you know, have to, you know, go out of the way to get there. But it was her way to say, like, get to know my family this way. Like, walk on the streets that they walked on and eat at the restaurants they ate at. And, and I was there when I was a kid. And, and it was this great creative gesture to help me know her better. You see, in lasting relationships, the creativity doesn't die. It's still there. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. Okay, so ladies, this is where it's probably not a good idea for you to call your husband your brother. Right? But but here's the the deal here. In, In ancient Israel, public displays of affection were forbidden. The only public display of affection that a woman could have was to her father or her brothers. You could be married and have 15 kids in tow behind you, but you couldn't hold hands walking down the street, right? And that's what it was like. And she was saying, I love you so much, I want the world to know it. Every time I see you, I want to kiss you. But I can't because we're out in the streets. And the culture says we can't. But I want you to know, I want to kiss you every time I see you. Look at verse chapter 2, uh, verse 8, chapter 2, sorry, verse, give me a minute. <laughs> chapter 8, verse 2, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. Y'all, this relationship has developed, and this couple has fully embraced their sex life. So, so much to the fact that she is comfortable initiating sex with the king of Israel, right? Like, this is so countercultural that their relationship wasn't about him just getting his needs met when he wanted to. She was comfortable initiating sex. And so we see that this relationship grows sexually, that their, their physical affection for one another is growing. And so for us, here's the question that I have. For you who are married, do you talk about sex together? Like, do you talk about what you like and what you don't like, what you want to try, what you don't want to try? Listen, he said he wanted to climb the palm tree and grab hold of its fruit. She said, bring it on, baby, my paraphrase. Like, they are comfortable talking about sex. They are comfortable, she's comfortable initiating sex. My question for you is, are y'all talking about it? That's all I'm asking. Are you talking about your sex life together? If not, why not? Are you lazy Is it just forgetfulness? Is there sin involved and so you don't want to talk about it because it may mean you have to talk about something else? Is it a wrong perspective that you think your spouse isn't beautiful anymore or isn't handsome anymore and you have forgotten to look to the, the heart of God in them? Are there medical issues going on or like right now sex just can't happen? Are you talking about it? Because this couple talks about it. And see, here's here's the warning in all of this, is that if your relationship isn't growing, it won't last. 
and that's just the truth. You won't be the couple that I stalked in downtown Asheville. You'll be the couple sitting there at the table, angry and quiet. And as your pastor, I want to stalk you one day. Tweet that. <laughs> right? Like, I want to be so mesmerized by the love of God that I see in you as a couple. I want to take your picture. Enough counseling has shown me, too, that, that if you don't pay attention to your spouse, Satan will bring somebody else who will. And that's the scary truth. But there's another warning in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, if this looks familiar to you, it is because this was the choir, this was the voice of God that were saying this to them when they dated and, and, and when they were engaged, to not have sex yet, to not arouse or awaken love before it's time. So why is this here, right? right we've just seen them have sex. Why, why are they saying this here? Because the warning is to the reader, listen, this passion that you see in a marriage is meant for a marriage, this passion doesn't work unless there is commitment connected to it. And that commitment is to, to a marriage covenant that God has brought two people together and there is an, an oath under God to live uh, in accordance with the gospel and live in, in accordance with that gospel with each other, that there is that level of commitment. Because y'all, for those of you who have been married for a while, have you ever had a day where you had to rely on commitment instead of feelings? Have you ever had a day where you had to rely on the truth of God's word instead of the passion that you may or may not be feeling? Has that ever happened? That's when you say, yes, Fred, that has happened. You give me something, right? Yes, it happens. That's what the warning is here, that everything that we read and everything that we see here, this isn't in a couple that's living together. This is a committed marriage. And that's the type of commitment that leads to this type of growing relationship. Now listen, I'm teaching God's word here, and I talked about my marriage and stuff, but I want you to know, like Stacey and I, we do not have a perfect marriage. I can guarantee you nobody in this room has a perfect marriage. Nobody listening to this sermon on a podcast has a perfect marriage. We are all fallen, and we are all broken people, and we are all people who need to grow. And as I study this passage again, I am convicted freshly of what Stacy and I need to work on. But here's the deal. All of us are broken. All of us are imperfect. All of our marriages fit the same category, broken and imperfect. That's the joy of our gospel, right? <clears throat> that we know we have all fallen short, and yet we have a Redeemer who saves us. And his name is Jesus. And because of his sacrifice on a cross, his death and his resurrection, we can have this good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves us. And if you haven't said yes to that Jesus, let today be the day that you say yes to that Jesus because here's what happens. And for those of us who have said yes, this is what happens. We bring our imperfections to him, and they are always met with grace. We bring our sin to him, and it is always met with forgiveness. And when we get that from Jesus, we give that to our spouse, which means we can bring our imperfections to each other, and it's met with grace. We can bring our sin to each other, and it's met with forgiveness. Because how dare we? Accept it from Jesus and not give it out to someone else. 
he actually spoke about that in a few parables. And that's not what he has for us. You see, in Jesus, all of our marriages can grow because in Jesus, all of us can grow. And so my question is this, where do you and your spouse need to grow? Talk about it this week. There's the list of things, trust, appreciation, connection, leadership, tenderness, respect, time together, creativity. Like, here's what I'd love for you to do. This week, pull this list up and talk about it. And say, okay, where do we want to grow in 2020? Just pick one, because I know you're looking at it going, I could grow in all of them. Then you won't do any of them. Pick one. Pick one. You and your spouse, pick one. Where do you want to grow in 2020? And if you want help, we, we do have Reengage. I mentioned it earlier. earlier. We're actually going to start sign-ups. I think today sign-ups start. And you can go on our website and you can sign up. Um, and, and here's what Reengage is, in case you haven't gotten the full explanation. Reengage is a 17-week commitment, right? So put that out there first, 17 weeks. And it costs 100 bucks. I think, is what it costs to go through. So that's the, that's the bad news. It's 17 weeks of your life. It's 100 bucks out of your pocket, which, by the way, works out to about five bucks a week, I think, close to it, 525, 550. So the price of a latte a week. What you will get out of Reengage is you will get a large group teaching time about marriage, and you will get a small group that will walk you through, and you all walk each other through how to apply what you learn in that big group. And I'm telling you, I believe in the principles taught and re-engaged so much because they are biblical truths that I would love for every single couple, every single married couple here at Fellowship to go through re-engage at some point. I believe in it that much, and I believe it's that good for your marriage. So I'd love for you to sign up if you need help. I'd love for you to sign up even if you don't think you need help, because you do. We all do. And go through re-engage with us. But this week, sit down with your spouse and talk through these, these, these qualities and where do you need to grow. All right? And let's start there. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you are immensely good to us. More than we deserve, more than we could ask for. And, and, and yet, gosh, you just freely give your love and freely give your grace. And, and, and it's just, the generosity is crazy. And yet, like, we get mad over a sock left on the floor or something. And God, I pray that you would change us. And, 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 and change us not in behavior first, but change us in belief first. May we see your goodness, and may we see your mercy, and may that just seep into every area of our soul so that we are a different people. May our spouses see the difference and may they experience the difference. And God, may this city experience the difference of people who believe and trust and walk in the gospel that is, that is given to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.